Well, I'm so thankful for all who have led us in worship this morning. I'm thankful for our well band. I'm thankful for uh, Helen's tremendous generosity testimony as well. And thankful for our student choir as well. That was really a wonderful gift uh, for our congregation today. We are continuing a sermon series this morning called Galatians Afresh. We are looking at this ancient letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia and those that are gathered around there, and we're finding modern application, ways that we can apply this text to our daily living. I'll be preaching this morning from Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Listen for God's word coming to you and for you from Paul's letter to the Galatians. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when the one who had set me before, apart before I was born called me through his grace and was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me, but I went away at once to Arabia, and afterward I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days, but I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who is per- formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let us pray together. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight. Amen. You've probably heard it said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And quite often, this is a true statement. When several companies are bidding for a job and they're all capable of completing the task, But the project lead was sorority sisters with one of the references. We know who's getting the gig. When a job opens up, it's usually a personal acquaintance. It's a personal connection that can move that resume to the top of the pit of the list for consideration. The same concept existed for the early church, but it was in the form of apostolic succession. It was who you knew that was important. Within the early church, as in all things, starting well is important. And as such, those that were personally discipled by Jesus had a higher level of authority and a greater voice than new converts. The 12 disciples bear the most immediate witness to the life and the ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
And Jesus also directly empowers these disciples with tools for ministry. But even from the very beginning in the early church, we've got problems. One of the 12 disciples, Judas Iscariot, betrays Jesus, and Judas takes his own life. The 11 remaining disciples, they cast lots in Acts 1, and they elect Matthias to complete this apostleship with 12 in total. The next problem, it's about Paul and his apostleship. Now, Paul begins his letter to the Galatians with these three words, Paul, an apostle. And the title apostle is typically reserved for the most immediate followers of Jesus, those who directly were selected by Jesus and followed Jesus during his ministry. And Paul does not meet these qualifications. Paul doesn't meet these qualifications until he meets Jesus on a Damascus Road experience. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 15. He describes himself as untimely born in never meeting Christ in his ministry on earth. The reason, again, for this apostolic succession is to prevent false teaching, and that is of which Paul has been accused. It's theorized that perhaps Paul, following this Damascus Road conversion, has been taught a gospel by the apostles in Jerusalem, and now Paul is deviating from that gospel with an unauthorized version that includes Gentile people. Paul states this case and lays out his argument within this passage, and he obliterates the suggestion that he's deviating from a gospel that was given to him by the apostles because he never met with any of the apostles. He says he did not confer with any human being following his conversion. But instead, the gospel that was proclaimed to him was not of human origin. It didn't come through preaching or teaching, but it was a direct revelation of Jesus Christ. And who is to argue with that? Throughout the church's history, there's always been this tension of holding to tradition while also being sensitive to the movement and the direction of the Spirit. Within a Baptist distinctive, there's an added emphasis on the personal response of God's call and invitation. As Baptist scholar Walter Sheridan puts it, without interference by creed or the interference of clergy or the intervention of civil government. This concept is often noted as soul freedom as described in Sheridan's book, The Baptist Identity, Four Fragile Freedoms. The apostle Paul notes that he had a personal and spiritual encounter with the living Christ. And he shares his testimony that he was violently persecuting the church and how God got his attention and was revealed to him and how God called him. The words that are used in the original Greek speak to an encounter far more significant than just a vision or a dream. Paul says that Christ was revealed to him. The word is apocalypto. It's the root word for apocalyptic or apocalypse. It means to uncover something that was hidden, 
or to disclose what was unknown. But the severity of this word should not be unnoticed. Who Paul was before and who Paul became, they are two different people. And this is even noted with a name change. Paul was once Saul, but he is Saul no longer. God calls Paul to preach and to share the gospel with Gentiles. Now what Paul is not doing here is excluding Jewish Christians by comparing two religions. Paul is not holding up Judaism and comparing it and contrasting it with this new thing called Christianity. As Bible scholar N.T. Wright puts it, Paul's gospel is Jewish eschatological messianism, simply meaning the Messiah has come, a new age has been inaugurated, the hope of Israel has been fulfilled, and this, as the prophet said, is for everybody. Israel's Messiah has been foretold in the person of Jesus, fully divine and fully human. His message and ministry is one of the forgiveness of sins, bringing down the powerful and lifting up the lowly, feeding the hungry, giving sight to the blind, healing the ill, fulfilling the law, and seeking to save that which was lost. Paul is saying that he has seen this Jesus and has been changed by such an experience. And who is to argue with that? Paul's life before meeting Jesus features him advancing far beyond his peers in study and in zeal. And from an outsider's perspective, Paul is more devout and more learned, more in line with tradition. He is exemplary. And what transformed Paul was not a program. It wasn't even studying scripture. It wasn't teaching or preaching. It wasn't praise or worship music. It was the thing that is underneath all of those things. Paul heard the gospel. Not a message about Jesus or even a message from Jesus. As Bible scholar James D.G. Dunn says, the gospel is not simply from Christ, but it is Christ. Jesus transformed Paul. Paul connects his story to that of the Hebrew prophets, for Paul claims that he was set apart before he was born. And this motif is also used by the likes of Isaiah and Jeremiah. And the authority for Paul to proclaim this is not with his connection to the Old Testament prophets. Paul's authority is not even about apostolic succession. Paul claims that his authority in calling to proclaim the gospel to Gentiles comes directly from Jesus. And who is to argue with that? This revelation from Jesus, it launches a new day and new possibilities of what can be and what is true for Paul is true for us as well. God gets Paul's attention, and God wants to get our attention as well. A new day has dawned in Paul's life, and that is the greater message of God's new reality 
and Christ at work in this world. And God's call, it invites participation. This is not a call from a human source, but it's a call from Jesus. And for Paul, it was obvious. A light shone from heaven. He heard a literal voice calling his name. And for nearly all of us, God has gotten or will get our attention in more subtle ways. The next question is, how do we know something is truly God's revelation or God's calling and not just, as Ebenezer Scrooge puts it, an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato? Ruth Fletcher addresses this question in her book on spiritual habits of transforming congregations called Thrive. She tells a story of her friend Doug, who had a spiritual encounter in the most mundane of activities. You see, Doug needed to return a pair of pants to the store, and while he was there, he ran into a friend he had not seen for quite some time. The two started talking, and he realized this friend needed some help. He needed some counsel and support. Doug felt that God had placed him there to meet with his friend on that particular day at that particular time. So Doug returns home after this visit and his wife asked him if the errand was successful and he replied, yes! To which she questioned why he was so excited and why the pants he was supposed to return were still in his hand and not returned to the store. And Doug noted that the events of that day, they were not just a series of coincidences for him, but he felt the Spirit's guidance in his life. Others have noted that God gets their attention while in nature or in Bible study or on a walk or a run, while visiting a friend or listening to music, some have noted that greater intention or time for prayer and listening for God has transformed their life and given meaning to their days. While these new spiritual habits are important, the habit itself cannot save you. It is who you know. And the purpose of Bible study and prayer and worship and meditation, it's for us to hear God's call. God's voice may not elevate us to the title and the role of apostles, but God's call continues on. Not calling the equipped, but equipping the called. In the worry and the anxiety of each of us, when we're unsure of what to do next, God's call continues on. In worship and in prayer, when we cry out to God, God's call continues on. When we're certain of who we are and steadfast that nothing could ever change us, God's call continues on. In the mundane and the routine, in the boring and the typical, God's call continues on. In the pain of the world and the groaning of creation, God's call continues on, and God's call invites participation. It includes more than it excludes. 
It extends more than it restricts. It brings along those we might not have invited. And in Paul's example, we may have known Saul. He may have been the last selection of anyone elevated to the title of apostle. He may have been voted least likely to write much of our New Testament. But God's call makes it possible that the one who was once persecuting the faith that he tried to destroy now has others glorifying God because of him. Christ's call, Christ's invitation, Christ's revelation, it turns Paul's world upside down. And we are wise to reflect on our own narratives, our own stories, and review the way and the hearing of God's call on our lives. For God's call is extended to each and to all. And within this priesthood of believers, we need not a human mediator because God still speaks. And who can argue with that? Amen. If you have never heard God's call, and you'd like to, I would invite you as we uh, are standing and singing, if you'd like to make a decision today, I'll be up front to welcome you, or perhaps you'd like to make a decision about baptism or, or joining Second Baptist Church by transfer of letter or statement of faith, I'll be up front to welcome you for any of those decisions. Or perhaps while we sing, you would like to light a candle or visit our prayer station. Maybe you'd like to right where you are, listen for God's call within your life in the words that we sing in this song together. What are the ways that God is trying to get your attention? How might God be calling you today? We are called to respond, and as we stand and sing together, let the Holy Spirit lead.